Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women in BIPOC voices. We're bringing Wonder Women Tech to the airwaves. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Woman Tech Show. I'm so excited because today we're going to hang out in space with Lisa Callahan, who is the Vice President and General Manager of the Commercial Civil Space Line of Business for Lockheed Martin Space. In this role, she's responsible for all aspects of execution and growth for commercial and civil markets in human and robotic deep space exploration, communications, weather, and remote sensing. Ms. Callahan is also responsible for Macau operations and related activity at Stennis Space Center. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. You know, you were one of our keynote speakers last year, so we could say that you're officially a Wonder Woman Tech alumni. I had a great time there as well. I know. Too bad we couldn't. I mean, I would have loved to have you again in in the in the real world, I'll call it, because I don't know what world we're living in now. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, 100 <laughs> percent So first of all, commercial civil space. What exactly is that? So um at Lockheed Martin, um, we build spacecraft um, that, built, that basically explore our solar system. So currently, we have had spacecraft that we've built that are explored every planet in our solar system. Oh. Um, there are six of them right now that are operating on orbit. In fact, just uh, in another week and a half, we have a spacecraft that's around flying around an asteroid. Its name is Bennu. It's a near-Earth asteroid, which means it's in orbit around the Earth. And um, we're going to try to tag the asteroid to bring a sample back to Earth so we can learn more about the formation of our planet. These asteroids, we believe, are a byproduct of the formation of the solar system. And so um, the more we can learn about how the solar system is formed, the more we can understand about our planet Earth and uh, what we could expect in terms of its evolution and what we need to do to protect it. So we built, um, those are robotic spacecraft. Um, we are also building Orion, which is a spacecraft that's going to take humans to the moon and eventually onto Mars. Uh, so Orion is a deep space spacecraft, and um, it's going to have its first flight next year, um, which will be really exciting as well. And then um, on the commercial side, we build um, commercial communication satellites, um, that basically provide bandwidth and uh, telecommunications to the world. Um, and then lastly, we also build um, remote sensing satellites and weather satellites. So right now across the United States, there's two satellites that are on orbit protecting um, life and property, um, looking at the east and the west coast of the United States, helping forecasters to predict severe storms like the hurricanes that we're seeing right now in the Gulf, um, as well as tornadic activity that we might have in the Midwest. So um, one side effect of those satellites that we didn't design for but have realized is that they also detect wildfire. So we are actually able to detect um, fires up to just a quarter acre 
And in some cases, I've been told by um, fire departments that we, our satellites have detected fires before they're even called in. So you can imagine combining that with weather and winds can really help to protect the property and lives. Oh my gosh. Like I'm absolutely blown away. I had no idea you guys did all of those things that are so vital for like our humanity and livelihood. And first of all, can I just like shadow you at work? I, I mean, I am so much in love with everything you just said. You know, when I was little, I used to stare at the solar, uh, at the sky and imagine what was going on in the solar system. And I actually just last night, I was reading about, um, near earth objects. You know, I'm passionate about that stuff. I'm passionate about solar weather. I subscribe to, um, the sky tonight and solar weather and, and and pay attention to the solar storms. And I'm just obsessed with that stuff. So I'm, I'm loving this. I mean, you were working with the U.S. Navy, um, and so how did that come about? Yeah, so um, when I started my career, I was working um, for Lockheed Martin um, on a program that was building um, fast attack submarines for the U.S. Navy, and um, I was in the integration and test lab, so that's kind of where the whole system comes together. We do the final testing to make sure that functionally you know, we meet the requirements of the system. Um, but one of the things I got to do early in my career, which was really awesome, is um, we supported the testing that the U.S. Navy was doing on board the submarine. So I spent five days on board a fast attack submarine um, as the only woman on board the submarine, which was an interesting event into itself. But um, it really opened my eyes very early in my career to how important it is to understand how the user of our systems is going to use those systems. Um, you know, all I had when I was working in the lab was a set of requirements, and I didn't realize which requirements were the most important to the Navy to protect their lives and to help them do the job that they do to protect our lives. And um, when I spent time on board, it was very quickly um, obvious to me that things I felt were important, they didn't use very often. And the things that were critically important to them, I didn't realize their, their importance. And so that's something that stuck with me throughout my career. Mm. That, um, we really need to understand how people are going to use what we're developing as engineers and, yeah. um, and make sure that we understand their environments and what they're doing. As you might imagine, a fast attack submarine is really cramped quarters. So there's not a lot of room for them to get in and maintain the equipment. Um, and so Knowing all of that early on, I think, has really helped me throughout my career. And then I've tried to teach that to others and make sure that my team understands how do our users, how are end customers going to use the system? And um, are we giving them something that's that's really uh, of value to them? Yeah, there's something to be said for really, you know, understanding the end user when designing something. It's so important. And I think early uh, inventions you know, where when the seatbelt was first created, you know, things of that nature, they didn't think about smaller framed bodies for women and things of that nature. So I, I am always fascinated by engineers and how they build and how they design and what they consider, what their considerations are. And I do find that women are increasingly more apt to design holistically, um, and I think it's a, a trait that I feel is important when 
when leading teams, you know, when leading engineering teams. So I'm excited that you're at the helm there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I imagine you are in the ultimate male environment. I mean, you are in the defense industry. I'm sure you've encountered your share of challenges as an executive woman in defense. Can you share with us some of these challenges and and how have you navigated through them? Yeah, um, I would just start by saying it is so much better than when I first started my career. Um, Yeah. Things have improved dramatically, but, um, you know, um, I grew up, it it just turns out that I grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly boys. So I was kind of used to being around boys. I was a bit of a tomboy myself, right? I would um, play sports with them and um, interact with them on a constant basis. So for me, um, coming into what was a male dominated kind of industry or even in college, which was pretty, you know, I was a very small percentage were women in in my engineering school. um, And that was like normal for me. Like I was just used to that. Um, but I did run into, um, throughout my career, some, you know, what I'll say a bit of unconscious and, and quite honestly, sometimes very conscious bias of the fact that I was a woman. Um, you know, I remember, um, when I would be with a coworker and they would introduce me to uh, a friend or a, another, um, acquaintance that they had as the boss, the eyebrow, eyebrow raising that I would get from the male counterpart um, across the table, like, oh, she's the boss. <laughs> um, or um, I, I remember um, I was a program lead for a program that was a competition that we were, um, that we had just won. And um, one of my competitors came up to me and literally told me, that the only reason we won because they had the same solution that we had was because of my legs. What? Oh, see, that's a a true story. Um, Or uh, a very high executive once told me at a formal event where I was wearing a long gown that if I wore that dress, then they would have to award to us. Um, I was, uh, you know, those are the moments where your jaw hits the ground and you're not quite sure how to respond. Um, and for me, I always took those as challenges. Like, um, I looked at it as a positive, like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. Uh, and, and, and I used it to just motivate myself. Um, I would say though, in hindsight, um, as a woman and as a leader, um, in those situations, and those were earlier in my career, it changed my my take on it now, but, you know, I let it flow off my back. And I, as I said, I used it to motivate me. Um, I think I missed an opportunity for women at that point because I really should have stood my ground and should have told them that that was unacceptable. Right. That's just, um, and then I think I would have been helping to pave the way for future women. And so I do that today more so. Um, but, um, I, I wish I had thought about that earlier in my career. Well, that's, you know, that's honest. And, and I think, I've heard that before um, from some of our leaders who who have felt that way, um, you know, in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, experiencing this blatant, uh, you know, sexual harassment, discrimination, um, and, and feeling like they missed an opportunity to be that activist and, and pave the way. But I think it's difficult, you know, when you're in the experience and you don't have a lot of other experiences to base that off of and you are outnumbered 
you know, and it wasn't, it's not like you have these movements that are present today where it's so in front of your face that this is wrong. And so I think, you know, one, don't be hard on yourself. We, we love you. Um, and you're still, you're still a leader. You're still paving the way. And I think, you know, too, there are always learned opportunities where we can feel like, like be able to look back and say, you know, that was not okay. And I want to make sure it never happens, you know, to the future generation. So today I'm going to take a stand and it's, you definitely do that. I mean, just being of service to organizations like Wonder Women Tech, um, we see you. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Well, no, and I think you're making a good point. I mean, that's why I think it is important to get out and, and share with women some of those experiences and, you know, I want to be honest about how I handled it and how I could have done it differently. Uh, you know, I have a daughter who's 23 years old and she wants to be a doctor. And I've spent, you know, most of her uh, life when she got old enough to really understand what I was talking about. I share with her some of the challenges that I have or some of the doubts that I sometimes have in my own capabilities and how I've thought through that and how I've overcome those doubts to be able to get to where I am. And I do it deliberately because I want her, and I do this with my mentor and tease as well, but I, because I want them to know they're not alone and that when they do doubt themselves, I mean, she's going to go into a challenging career as a doctor. It's not easy to become a doctor. And as a woman in that field, I think she's going to have these hurdles to overcome as well. And I just want her to know that she can do it and that it's okay to feel the way she does um, and to have some self-doubt, but to also know that she's just as capable as anyone else in making um, her dreams come true. Aww. I mean, I can almost end the podcast on that note, but we've still got so much more conversation to have. (laughs) So let's take a break. We're going to enjoy this pioneering women in history segment, and we'll be back with Lisa Callahan. And now it's time for today's pioneering women segment. Today's pioneering woman is Ada Lovelace. Ada Lovelace was an English mathematician and is considered to be the very first computer programmer. From 1842 to 1843, Lovelace translated Italian mathematician Luigi Menebrea's article on Charles Babbage's newest proposed machine, the analytical engine. Through her extensive notes, Lovelace discovered that a computer could follow a sequence of instructions, which was then classified as a program. At the age of 36, she died of uterine cancer on November 27, 1852 in London, England. Although the engine was never completed and her program was never tested, it is thought to be the first published algorithm ever specifically tailored for implementation on a computer. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Ada Lovelace. Welcome back, innovators. We're here with Lisa Callahan, hanging out in space. We're talking about what it's like to be an executive in the defense industry. It's been so fun, but now we're going to change the channel because, you know, we're living in a world that feels imbalanced. Everything feels topsy-turvy. We don't know whether we're coming or going. We're working from home. We're homeschooling. Life is just not normal anymore, and we have to find our new normal. 
So Lisa, what is it like to lead your teams during this upheaval? It's um, it's been really challenging. Um, I mean, you just mentioned uh, a lot of things, but you know, I have a a team of folks that are um, have a diverse set of challenges that they're um, living with right now. What I found that's been helpful is really treating each one individually. I think everybody's in a different environment right now and with different circumstances. And, um, you know, we have a job to do and we have customers who are counting on us to deliver on their missions. Um, but we can do that um, in different ways, depending on who we are and what else we need to do. Um, you know, I, I, I was reminded, I, I remind myself of um, when my daughter was first born, um, I had planned everything out. She was born in October and I had vacation time and maternity leave to take me through the end of the year. And when December came along and I had to start looking for um, daycare facilities for her, how she was going to be taken care of when I was at work, um, I couldn't even bring myself to go do that. I just wasn't ready to let go. And I had to call my boss, and um, who was a woman but had no children, and I wondered what her reaction would be to me asking to take another three months of personal leave. Um, and she was extremely supportive. Uh, and I can tell you at the end of the six months, I was so ready to get back to work and having an adult situation and conversation. <laughs> and, um, and I got to the point where I was comfortable. I found a wonderful in-home care for my daughter and um, I would go off, could go off to work um, knowing she was in great hands. But that first time, I, I couldn't do it. And, um, and so that situation was different. And, and, you know, having that conversation with my boss, I still remember that she was empathetic to my situation and was willing to help me in that. And I think that's the kind of messaging that I try to relay to my team and to the leaders in our organization that we um, these are unprecedented times. I know I'm tired of saying that. But, um, <laughs> we, we have to do things differently and we need to look at people as individuals and their circumstances individually. You know, I love that because I'm finding that to be a common theme with our guests um, who are leaders and who are leading teams. And I'm delighted, honestly, to hear this type of leadership taking place where now we are talking about empathy, right? Uh, I was talking with one of our guests recently about how she had to realize that because of that, her teams were working, had to work different hours. It was no longer nine to five for every single person anymore. And so it was yeah. task oriented, project oriented. As long as you got your tasks done and your projects done, it didn't matter what time, as long as you met the deadline and she had to reorganize her thoughts and, and metrics for success because she was so used to a specific way. And I, I, I feel like that's all of us. Like we're so used yeah. to a specific way of living and operating, right? Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that's really cool about what we do, right, is that the mission pull is so strong with our employees. Um, you know, what we do is cool. What, what we do is really important. And they, um, they really, that's why they get up and come to work every day is because of that mission and what we're doing. And so um, I guess that's helpful um, as a leader to have that kind of mission pull because people want to continue to do what they're doing and they'll make things work. Um, but, but I think it's a difficult time to be a leader in, um, at all levels because um, you do have to figure out how to get the job of your team done with people working in different locations and people working at different hours, as you pointed out. 
Um, so I, I, you know, I, I try to spend some time, a lot of time, um, communicating with leaders just to hear what's on their mind and what are some of their challenges so we can try to, to overcome that. Um, and I, I've been really proud of the organization here and how um, everyone's really stepped up to help out. And those that maybe aren't dealing with as much as home are able to um, step up and do more of their share to help um, keep things moving forward. You know, I know for myself, also leading teams and, and everyone's remote. And it honestly has been the most challenging experience I've ever had, you know, with people in different time zones. And I, I it's just been, it's been tough. I, I will have to say if, if I were honest, um, but we forget that leaders need support too. You know, you're holding space for everyone. You're taking everyone else's uh, considerations um, on your having to find solutions for not just your company, but for them as well. So how do you create balance for yourself? Yeah, you know, um, I would say I am, um, I'm really fortunate, right? I have two children, um, both of them are um, adults now, right? And they're, one's 23 and one's 21. Um, so I am not dealing with the same balancing act that some of the other leaders are. So I actually look at this environment and um, and I feel guilty, right? Because there's a lot of positives for me. Um, yes, I have more things to deal with that are around the leadership front and helping the teams, but um, I used to travel pretty much every week and I have not traveled since March. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I have and can spend time at home means I have more time to exercise, more time to eat right and actually be taking care of myself better than maybe I am when I'm on the road constantly. So um, I'm using that to sort of generate energy to help um, solve problems and help with the rest of the team um, because I just feel so fortunate for my situation. And I know the situations for others are so dramatically different. So really trying to hear them out and try to help remove those roadblocks wherever we can. Um, and using the fact that I have more time because um, I'm not on the road as much to try to benefit um, in that. Yeah, I mean, that's, and I love your authenticity. I, I just appreciate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you clearly sound like an amazing person. And I hear that you have rescued and rehomed over 400 dogs. Yeah. 400. Like when I read that, I was like, wait, what? Not, not four dogs, 400, a small village. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, when, when I was living in Virginia and my children were in middle school, um, they had to do some community service work. And um, there was a rescue in the Virginia area that would bring dogs to the local pet stores for adoption and they needed volunteers to come out and walk the dogs around the store for about three hours during their adoption events to help them get adopted. And, um, my daughter was the first to do that. And, uh, after a couple of weeks of, um, volunteering, um, I started to notice similar people week after week there. And I was talking with them a little bit more and they were actually fosters of the dogs that they were walking around. And, um, they said that the foster dogs get adopted the fastest. And so of course my daughter was like, mom, let's foster a dog. <laughs> so after we twisted my husband's arm and convinced him it would be okay, we wouldn't adopt them all. Um, he allowed us to start fostering. And when I put in the foster application, I immediately got a call and said, well, what do you think about, 
fostering a litter of puppies instead of just a dog. And I was like, what? And they're like, well, they're the first to be euthanized in a shelter because they're not vaccinated and they can get sick and they would die. Um, so they euthanized pregnant dogs and, and puppies first, which was just like all I needed to hear to say, sign me up. I know, right? <laughs> like what, what make, you would be looked at as the world's worst person if you said, no, no thanks. I know. Please so, euthanize uh, them. We, <laughs> what? We started fostering um moms with young puppies but I have to say if it wasn't for my husband and my family I wouldn't be able to do it because um you know when I'm traveling or I'm at work um the duties all rest on their shoulders and they're willing to take that on too so I used to say that my husband just appeased my passion for dogs and fostering um I think he's starting to like it a little bit himself too well I mean 400 dogs later he has to like it if he doesn't like it I don't know what's wrong with him you can't tolerate 400 dogs <laughs> you know you're 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 over here building satellites and he's fostering puppies I think that's so cute <laughs> honey we're gonna foster a dog and you know 10 years later you're still fostering um I think yeah. I think that's incredible you know I love love so Lisa, this show really celebrates vulnerability. I think, um, you know, vulnerability is a strength and, and that authenticity. And you've already demonstrated such vulnerable moments today. I'd love you to share something with us that you've never shared with anyone before. Oh, God. I don't have any idea what I would share with you. I'm pretty open book, so I think I've always shared my, my thoughts and um I honestly can't think of anything other than to tell you that I think it's it's so incredibly important to be um, honest and humble um, and to and to share your concerns and how you've overcome them. I mean, I think as a woman, that's something I feel a responsibility to do, particularly with other women or minorities, to help them understand they're not alone and to be a listener and hear them out and. Um, I mean, even when I had my first child, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I kept looking for an instruction book and there was nothing, right? There was, there were all these books about the first year and they contradicted each other. And, um, <laughs> the only way I survived was through, um, you know, play groups that I had and listening to other mothers and understanding that, my, you know, what I was experiencing with my daughter was not different from what anybody else was doing. Um, and I think it's so important um, that we are, that we share with each other. I think we have to be honest. We have to tell people that everything isn't always rosy and that you know, we should celebrate when we are happy, but at the same time, you need to communicate when things um, are, are, are struggles for us, right? Because they may have an idea that would help us. Um, and we may just have saved somebody else by helping them to understand they're not alone. Um, so authenticity has always been something that, that I feel so strongly about. And, um, um, and so I am pretty much an open book. I share with people when I've failed, when I've not done what I could have done differently. And, um, and then I celebrate the successes when I've learned from that and, um, rise to new levels because of it. I think that's a beautiful way to answer the question. You know, I think it just reinforces how important it is to, be vulnerable, to be authentic, to share. And that is the goal of, of, of this podcast is to, is to kind of get underneath, you know, like, yes, we want to hear about your career journey, but 
more importantly, we want to know who you are as a human and we want to get underneath because we want to relate. We want to feel like we can become anyone, you know, we can be a VP of engineering. We can, you know, be an astronaut if we want to be an astronaut. So um, it's just so important, you know, Lisa, given everything that you've experienced in life, would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why? admit I didn't necessarily plan it that way at least not from the start um, but I did take the road less traveled in a lot of cases I went into areas that wasn't the mainstream of um, where our organization was or a program that people wanted to be on um, I moved around a lot in my career um, and I think that's um, been a benefit to me I know because of taking the road less traveled I had opportunities to do things that I wouldn't have gotten to do in an organization where um, that was much bigger um, because there was a lot of people on a program or a lot of people in that particular area. Um, and so I, I would, I, I always offer to my mentees and to people when I, they ask about career advice to not be afraid to take risks, to not be afraid to do things in areas that maybe others are shying away from. Um, yeah. Because of the reward there, yeah, it's a little bit riskier. Um, but the reward um, is so much bigger than the risks that you're taking, at least in my experience. Um, so I would take the road less traveled, personally. Well, I love that, Lisa. I definitely can see where you've journeyed in your life and it's really inspiring. And I'm so humbled that you've taken the time with us today and your busy schedule to be here with us, share such beautiful words of wisdom. I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Lisa. I've enjoyed the conversation. You're a wonderful interviewer. And um, I just want to tell you, I had a smile on my face through the whole thing. You've just, you reminded me of all of the positives um, um, of life. You know, even even while we're struggling, um, I always try to find the silver lining in every situation. Um, and it's not always easy and it's not the first thing that comes to mind, but spending time to find the silver lining I found is a way to keep me optimistic and to, to, to find things that are the positives in all that, all the challenges that come in front of us. Cause we all have challenges. No, there's always something that helps us, right? There's always a positive to that. Yeah, it's so true. And I, I, I am so passionate about finding that silver lining. This year has been one for the books. It's definitely kicked a lot of us in the seat of the pants. Um, but I literally, even yesterday, I had some challenging news and, and I literally said, Lisa May, you just have to go through each one, like get through each one until you don't have to deal with all of this. And so, and it will, everything can be recovered. Everything can be recreated. Everything can be created. So it was, yeah. it was like, I give myself these pep talks literally out loud. I do talk to myself. I just in, I, I admitted I, that I on air. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I'm not alone. <laughs> I literally was like, Lisa May. Oh my God. I talked to great. I live alone. So, you know, I don't have children. I'm not married. I have a dog and she's my best friend. And I literally talk to her. Like she is a person, especially when we were in like deep quarantine, when we couldn't even leave. Gracie was like, 
the ever listening like best friend you you ever could have and I told her everything and and so a lot of times like yesterday I was like it's okay Gracie we're gonna get through this and then I'm like god Lisa when you always talk to yourself but I'm glad I'm not the only one <laughs> no no I talk to myself all the time as well as my dogs and, uh, and I think everybody does that's my belief anyway <laughs> well if you're not if you're not talking to yourself people you're doing it wrong <laughs> take it from lisa and lisa may well lisa it's been such a pleasure thank you so much for everything and innovators until next time when we take the world on one more time thank you